travel to another world, another time, in the age of wonder. The Dark Crystal. And that music can only mean one thing. The Delaware Valley Journal is on the air. This is the weekly podcast of DelawareValleyJournal.com. And the editor is Todd Shepard. Todd, how are you doing? Doing fine, Michael. Glad to be with you. I'm Michael Graham with Inside Sources. And you think about what was going on this week in the Delaware Valley, Todd. It's pretty amazing. Pandemic, protests and riots, and a delayed primary election all happening at the same time. Well, and look, when you combine all of those factors, that gives you at least the the milieu of the reasons why Governor Wolf said, look, we've got to give an extension, a voting extension to six counties in, in Pennsylvania and, you know, three of them in the Delaware Valley. So, yes, extraordinary times. And, and look, that that even just what Wolf did to extend that was an extraordinary thing because it was an extension on an election that had already been extended. So yeah, incredible, just incredible goings on. So what's the takeaway about how elections went this week? How did the various counties fare? I know that one Republican uh, chairman was not happy. Yeah. In Delaware County, uh, GOP chairman, Tom McGarrigal, um, really just blasted the, the Democrat county commissioners and said, look, you you knew that this was going to be a, a mail-in ballot surge, yet you still weren't prepared. I think from the elected officials, apart, uh, from the part of elected officials, they feel like uh, just sort of the way you introed this is the times were so extreme, so uncertain. Um, you know, obviously we had to have some leeway. It was it was going to be impossible for us to have results the very next day. Um, key here will be whether the legislature adjusts how soon counties can start opening mail-in ballots. I think that will happen. But in terms of wanting overnight results, that's going to have to happen if we expect to know exactly uh, how Pennsylvania voted on the Wednesday after Election Day. But not all the counties had problems, right? Some of the counties that seemed to go pretty smooth? Well, Montgomery County is odd because they're one of the counties that got the extension, and it seems like that by, uh, you know, about... Uh, 24 hours, maybe less than, probably less than, after the polls were closed, they had all of their precincts reporting. So, yeah, it it, it did go smoothly in in Montgomery. Now, in the, in the run up, all of the counties in the Delaware Valley, I, I'm pretty sure about this. Maybe Chester didn't, but th- there were some ballots that were sent to incorrect addresses. There were uh, Republican voters who got Democrat ballots. So there were mistakes with some of the ballots, uh, some of the mail-in ballots. But in terms of processing, I, I think you would say Montgomery did a processing that was probably tops out of the four county area. The issue of ballot security, you mentioned mail in ballots and there's a push for a permanent mail in ballot system or permanent access to mail in, if not just having states go to the entire mail in system, you know, mail in process. And there was some pushback from the U.S. attorney this week about whether or not that process is in fact secure. He, he mentioned not just the potential fraud, but that he's even prosecuted some fraud. U.S. Attorney William M. McSwain for the Eastern District of Pennsylvania, we'll just call him Bill McSwain, 
Uh, look, a couple of weeks ago, Michael, this was a, just an, an incredible voter fraud uh, case that he brought to, to a conclusion, got a plea deal. This uh, uh, voting judge is not really like a judge we think of in the regular terms, but a judge at a polling place, right, had been stuffing ballot boxes for certain Democrat officials uh, for not just one cycle, for many cycles. Yes, he was on a talk radio program uh, this week, and he said, look, we are watching very carefully every change that gets made in Pennsylvania law, every executive order from the governor, and I want everyone to know that that works in the voting process in, in our district in eastern Pennsylvania. We are watching you very closely. And look, if he says that, uh, you know, at, uh, a couple of years ago, that's one thing. When he says it two weeks after, he just really nailed somebody for right. the kind of thing he did. I, I think that matters a lot. And for people who are interested in the mail-in ballot issue and uh, you know questions about security versus efficiency, et cetera, we have a lot of coverage of that at Delaware Valley Journal and as well as inside sources uh, uh, for people who are looking for that content. You mentioned uh, Bill McSwain. He didn't just talk uh, ballot security this week. He also had some un- less than kind words, shall we say, Dodd, for Philadelphia District Attorney Larry Krasner. Well, and in in having those unkind words, Michael, I think I think we're about to see Larry Krasner become sort of the poster boy or the political football when it comes to uh, criminal justice reform in America, because here really you have two people that are willing to to duke it out for their uh, their side of the story. McSwain is a Trump appointee, uh, and he's been very vocal about how about what he thinks about Krasner's whole philosophy of sort of liberalizing the criminal justice system and liberalizing it with an eye towards, you know, trying to set straight some racial disparities or whatever. So, um, look, Krasner obviously being backed by Soros, that that just that gives him a clear distinction of who he is and what he's all about. Uh, and McSwain said, look, uh, all public in- officials in, that are responsible for public safety, it's important for them to, and here I'm quoting, speak with one voice to condemn this looting, condemn this rioting, condemn this law- lawlessness. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Our district attorney is not really interested in any of that, end quote. So that's McSwain going right after Krasner. Um, given that you've got these two incredibly politically polarized attorneys that are willing to, to say these things about the other's philosophy. And Krasner really hasn't gone after McSwain that much. Sure. But I, I just think, and, and given that Philadelphia saw as much devastation as it did during the protest and the other things that went along, um, whether or not they were necessarily related or not, it sets them up to really be the ground zero for this whole battle. I agree. And, you know, it will be interesting to see the impact that the uh, rioting and the looting in Philadelphia has on the politics of the Collar counties, because the Collar counties escaped the period of of street action relatively unscathed. And so there's you could argue that, there, you know, this this is an issue that everything's safe, that people here did speak up. They did protest. They did react to the horrific killing of George Floyd. But we don't have to worry about. Philadelphia. Other people will see that on their TV, you know, realize that those are streets that they drive by near or down, you know, as they go about their life and they go, that's not that far away. And it'll be interesting to see how the 
outside effects, the outside events in Philadelphia, if they have an inside effect on the upcoming elections in uh, the Collar counties. Speaking of outsiders, Todd, you have a great piece last week at the Delaware Valley Journal about outside money pouring in from California into Delaware Valley Journal elections. Yeah, so here's what it takes to be a dark money group is basically you're a nonprofit. And when you're a nonprofit, that means you don't have to disclose your, your donors. So you have wait, wait, a, wait. Dark, I'm, I'm sorry. I thought dark money was a really bad movie with puppets and David Bowie from the 1980s. I, okay. Oh wait, that was dark crystal. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. Okay. Go back. So, so this is dark money from California ending up in bank accounts in Pennsylvania. Cannot believe we just had a dark crystal reference. Um, so, uh, and that I know the reference. Uh, so, yes, you're a nonprofit. You don't have to disclose your donors. You have this environmental group, uh, which is essentially all Bernie Sanders alums, and they all have strong ties to former presidential candidate Tom Steyer. But this nonprofit is the Green Advocacy Project. And basically, they've already pumped in some money to do, uh, you know, some, some phone calls and texting work for three county or for three candidates, excuse me, uh, in Pennsylvania, uh, one of them in Chester County. What I think is interesting is we've already mentioned George Soros in the DA races is uh, this money that was spent on them that first of all, the Green Advocacy Project, they gave that money to uh, an independent expenditure committee in Philadelphia. And so then they spent it on the candidates. So it's like they added a layer of, of, of moving the money, if you will. Right. Uh, but what's and interesting just so is, people know, we're not talking about a few dollars here or there. Uh, they've given at least $182,000 to local Pennsylvania races. Right. So That's a lot of money. Right. For these three candidates, though, it was $30,000. And look, in a primary election, when you have as many House of Representative seats as you do in Pennsylvania, that sort of decreases the overall cost that a House race might cost to run, right? right. So if you get a, if an outside group comes in and does ten thousand dollars worth of phone calls and texts for you, that's a that's a really outsized uh, lump Absolutely. of candidacy or campaigning that you've got on your behalf. And this is, ex- but see, this is the thing. This is exactly what Soros would do when he would support candidates like a Krasner. He would wait until very late in the primary, uh, about two weeks left, dump in this huge sum, and by the time the opponent figured out what was going on, it was just too late. And so that's what I thought was so interesting, and naturally, we will be tracking the Green Advocacy Project and the group that they washed this through. We'll be tracking them very closely from now through November. And one name that keeps popping up when you look at this green money, going back to 2018 from the same uh these same people, Todd, is uh, State Representative Danielle Friel-Otten, who they dumped 30 grand on to help get her elected the first time, and they continue to support her. And you just have to ask yourself, why would money be coming all the way from California for local races in Pennsylvania? And the Green Advocacy Project is very open about it on their website. They say, look, we know we can't get a fracking ban through Congress right now. We know we can't get vast restrictions on you know carbon-based fuels uh, through D.C. So we're going to try to get the same legislation and regulation passed at the state level by backing people in key states. What are the key states in the energy sector, Todd? 
Well, Texas and, and Pennsylvania. Exactly. And Free Lawton was one of the first, you know, she was a, an organizer and an outspoken opponent of the Mariner East pipeline. So I'm sure that that's one of the reasons. And by the way, pipeline politics is being reinvigorated again. It was just a couple of weeks ago that Joe Biden said he would, you know, try to revoke whatever permits he could for the Keystone pipeline. Right. So ah. you even think that like that the, the Keystone pipeline is a dead issue, but it's not. And so um, the the. The question has not been settled, and certainly with Mariner East and, and, and the continuing elections and the issues that Joe Biden is facing in terms of walking this environmental versus blue-collar tightrope in Pennsylvania, it matters a lot to a, a small house district like Friolatans. And you've been talking a lot of politics at Delaware Valley Journal this week, uh, Todd. In fact, Todd caught up with veteran Republican strategist and analyst Charlie Giroux. All right. Thanks, Michael. We are happy to be joined by, uh, I think, the one of the three or four political analysts in the state who really needs no introduction, but we will introduce him, Charlie Giroux. And of course, you hear his name, you read his thoughts and ideas in newspapers all the way from Pittsburgh into Philadelphia. Mr. Giroux, I'm sorry, Charlie Giroux, thanks so much for joining us on the Delaware Valley Journal podcast. Glad to have you. It's great to be with you, Todd. And thank you for calling me Charlie. I always get worried when I hear Mr. Giroux. I look over my shoulder. Yeah. So first of all, um, election season is uh, it's more than underway. The primary is in the books. Um, I think obviously with this podcast and with the election results that are being tabulated the way they are, especially in the collar counties around Philadelphia, obviously, I think some people may get this podcast after some elections have been. I mean, there are some elections that may yet be called. Uh, by the time they hear this podcast, so please understand that for any of our listeners. But what were your some of your you know top level takeaways? M- maybe with uh, by looking at just the parties or or um, turnout or or anything like that from the sort of the top level. Well, at the top level, the stunning performance of Donald J. Trump on Tuesday night, Todd. Here was a situation where the Democrats had been crowing all spring about voter intensity and their base was all fired up and they were going to come out to vote in record numbers. And they had this tremendous lead with the mail-in ballots, et cetera, et cetera. And the Republicans weren't as well organized and all this malarkey. But on Tuesday night, at least insofar as the votes that have been counted thus far, Donald Trump way outperformed Joe Biden. And in fact, with 91% of the votes counted, Trump had more votes than Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, and Tulsi Gabbard, the three Democrats on the Pennsylvania ballot, combined. That is phenomenal. And then if you look down ballot, the same results were there. Heather Heidelbaugh outperforming Josh Shapiro, who's busy running for governor in addition to attorney general. Tim DeFore running the same as six Democrat candidates for auditor general. And Stacey Garrity, pardon me, who's not yet even established her name identification statewide, outperforming the incumbent state treasurer, Joe Torcella. Really, really remarkable. The silent majority was out in force. I think you may have just uh, taken a scoop that I was hoping to get out in the next day uh, because we I've been doing some background research on uh, comparing Trump's performance to some other uh, you know, uncontested primary results. And so I definitely agree with you there that 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 is something uh, some people ought to take notice of for sure. One other takeaway that was clearly in a lot of the press, though, was that Democrats seemed to use mail-in ballots uh, at a much heavier pace than Republicans. Um, 
Is this a cause for concern? I mean, should the GOP be concerned about this at all? Or is this just sort of maybe an anomaly due to the, the specific circumstances around the COVID crisis and all of that? Well, there certainly are some concerns about mail-in voting, Todd, and I'll address those in a second. But the really positive thing for Republicans is that the Republican base turned out at the polls. They took the time right, and right. the energy and the effort to actually go to the polls, and they did it in far greater number than the Democrats in a state where the Democrats outnumber Republicans by three-quarters of a million. I mean, this really is dramatic, Todd. But with the issue of mail-in ballots themselves, there really are two big concerns. One, the potential for fraud, and we could talk about that at some length. And two, the administrative problems that we're already seeing with respect to mail-in ballots. If those problems are replicated in November, we're going to have a very, very, very long number of nights. Well, I, you know, that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about because, so for example, I've listened to uh, Dom Giordano talk about this a couple of times. Matter of fact, he, he asked Senator Toomey about this. But there is this concern that maybe the election comes down to Philadelphia. And what if, uh, you know, Delaware or Montgomery or Bucks County, what if any of those counties might need a whole week to finish their, their vote tabulation? Do you think this creates sort of a perilous situation, not only for Pennsylvania, but just for the nation as a whole? Yeah, I mean, we could be replaying 2000 where they were yeah. holding up those paper ballots looking for hanging chads and all that kind of nonsense right here in Pennsylvania, because I think Democrats and Republicans, Todd, are agreed that Pennsylvania is going to be the determinative state this fall. I mean, with our 20 electoral votes and the closeness of the election here four years ago, Pennsylvania looms as the pivotal swing state in the fall. And with the potential administrative problems on the horizon, something's got to be done to address them. And I think even the Democrats agree that that's the, the, the case, that it has to be taken care of now. Right. And I think, too, if I, just to make a side note on, on something that I have covered for uh, seven or eight years, actually, this, this uh, national vote interstate compact, which would be sort of a workaround to the Electoral College, I think... The fact that the United States has been um, acclimated to getting their presidential results the day after Election Day is a feature. It's an incredible feature of the Electoral College. And if you took that away, actually, it would almost always take probably a week or two or a month to determine the presidential winner if you took away the, the, the Electoral College. So... That's just my side, and look, I'm not, I'm not advocating for it one way or another, but I certainly think that's an underappreciated feature uh, that nearly everyone in America has taken for granted for 200 years. So, uh, Well, you're, you're correct to be advocating for the Electoral College that our <laughs> founders put together as a key feature of our constitutional republic. And this National Popular Vote Initiative is simply a backdoor way around the Constitution of the United States. It is a terrible idea. It's supported by the Soros family and some of the most left-wing elements in our country. And no Republican should have anything to do with it or be anywhere near it. Yeah, and I tell you, it, it got some interesting traction last year, too, in some previously for the 10 years leading up to this, uh, that, that compact had only had traction in the deepest blue of blue states. But last year, it actually got traction. For example, it was adopted in Colorado. It will be on the ballot there uh, this November. But so 
You know, one other thing I wanted to mention to you, and uh, you were in the news, uh, I think, in uh, mid late April, uh, early May, because you had sort of hinted that uh, Senator Toomey would probably run for governor soon in Pennsylvania. But I've got an idea I want to run by you. Uh, twice this week, I have heard U.S. Attorney William McSwain on talk radio, and he's been very vocal about Larry Krasner. He's been very vocal about a lot of other things. I think U.S. Attorney Bill McSwain might be running for higher office uh, in two or four years. What do you think? Well, let me say, first of all, thank God for Bill McSwain, Philadelphia's only real crime fighter, because the district attorney there is too busy doing other things. And I do believe that Bill McSwain will run for public office at some point, and I will be there to support him. And I think a lot of folks, both Democrat, Republican, and Independent, will say three cheers for Bill McSwain and you know usher him into uh, elected office as opposed to appointed office where he has done a magnificent job, including uncovering and getting guilty pleas for massive voter fraud in Philadelphia. Yeah, that was a, I mean, that was a one of a kind uh, plea deal that uh, if, if that plea deal had come out in other circumstances when the nation weren't uh, completely fixated on this amazing crisis that we're seeing right now, uh, that would have been a much bigger story, not just in in Philadelphia and Pennsylvania, but I think it would have gotten it would have received a lot more uh, national attention because you're absolutely right. That was a it was really a stunning um, the the chutzpah of of that particular uh, voter fraud scheme was was just breathtaking in its in, a in its uh, audacity, but b its simplicity. Quite honestly. Yeah, and Todd, you're right. And we've always heard, oh, there's not really this you know, tremendous vote fraud that you talk about. Well, now we know there is. And here was a situation where a Democratic judge of elections was yeah. taking bribes to stuff ballot boxes, not in one cycle, but in multiple cycles. Yeah. And again, thank God Bill McSwain was there to put an end to it and to get a guilty plea. Uh, you know, you don't generally get guilty pleas in those types of cases. They're generally fought to trial. But this one, the evidence was overwhelming. And McSwain did the job. Charlie Giroux, uh, we uh, quote you frequently in our articles, and uh, it's been a great pleasure to have you on our podcast. And uh, this is a guy you'll expect to hear more from as you continue to read DelawareValleyJournal.com. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you. Thanks so much for having me. You bet.